0: Well, good morning. It's, it's great to be with you again this morning. Um, and as we start, I have a confession to make. I'm a failure at adopting new lifestyle choices. And it, I realized this in the 90s when the pant roll was really cool. You know, you kinda, I don't even know how to do it anymore. You fold it over, roll it up. I don't know. Anyway, I failed. The kids were walking around like that. You know, I finally figured it out. One day I couldn't do it because I would do it and then it would fall apart um, at, before I even got to school, and so one day, like six months into that whole fad, I finally asked a friend, "How do you get your thing, to, your roll, to stay all the time?" And they're like, "Oh, I pin it from the inside." So I go home. And I was like, "Oh, I finally figured it out!" So I go to school the next day with it rolled up, nice-looking, great, pinned, and everything's gonna stay all day. And nobody has their pant leg rolled up anymore. <laughs> Like, kidding me, it's too late. So then, in the, that was the 90s, and then in the 2000s, I decided, well, the hipster thing's kind of skinny jeans coming in, and so I went to Kohl's, and I was like, man, eh, why not try a pair on, right? So I got a pair of skinny jeans, went into the, to the dressing room, I put them on, and it was just like, and I was just like, looking in the mirror, I'm like, nope, that's not happening. <laughs> that faded real fast. So I, 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 I'm a failure at, at adopting lifestyle choices. Uh, maybe you've felt that same way. Have you ever failed at adopting a lifestyle choice? Maybe a new eating habit, uh, right? That's a not such a successful thing in my life. Maybe it's a new fashion look, like the pant roll in the 90s. Whatever it is, I don't know. I'm horrible at it. And it reminds me of New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions come and go, and and I finally decided not to make any more New Year's resolutions in my life because I was tired of failing at them year after year after year. So I guess the only resolution I've ever been successful at is the resolution to not make resolutions anymore. Maybe you can identify with that. I don't know about uh, you. When I decide to try to make a lifestyle change or create a new habit, I get all excited about it. For like two days, maybe three, I'm doing great. But then it becomes something I have to, I just put on my to-do list. It becomes a task, actually. It feels more like a chore. Something I have to do, I don't want to do. The excitement fades away and the the appeal drops super quickly. Kind of like the skinny jeans in the dressing room. It goes on a to-do list and finally, maybe after a year of sitting on my to-do list, I finally check it off so I can feel good about checking something off my list. Any other list checkers in the room? Sometimes you just put things on a list to check them off. Right? Yeah, that's me, right there, all the way. Sometimes things sit on that list forever, and I check them off knowing I didn't do it, but I just got to get it off my list. Sometimes I think the same thing happens in our spiritual lives, especially in relationship to discipleship. We make big commitments to God, but we fail time and time again and beat ourselves up about it. I know there have been plenty of times in my own life when, uh, when I have made discipleship a task rather than adopting discipleship as a lifestyle. Can you identify with that? Have you ever made discipleship into a task? Said no to a discipleship opportunity because it wasn't convenient or it didn't fit in your schedule? At the church I worked at in Kansas, a colleague and I were doing some recruiting, looking for some help for our, our children and youth ministries. And at one of the phone calls that was made uh, by my colleague, uh, she called and said, hey, uh, we were looking for some help. We could really use some help in a couple different we think your gifts would, would match well uh, with these, these opportunities. Would you consider serving our children and youth? And the response from the, the woman was, no, my kids are grown, so I don't have to do that anymore. It's time for someone else to step up. We were like, what? That's for real. That, that was honestly the response. This person had literally turned off their discipleship switch of their life. They'd totally checked out. And the person even said, it, those moms of those kids need to do that discipleship. Well, yes, they do, but we're a family of faith. We're the body of Christ. We need you as well, was our response, and she wouldn't do it. I was, so, I was so frustrated. I wanted to pull out Matthew twenty eight nineteen 19 and, and read it to her and say, Jesus said, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't say, go, therefore, make disciples of your kids and their friends and then stop. It doesn't say, go, therefore, make disciples until you're too old. It doesn't say, go, therefore, make disciples until you don't feel like it anymore. It says, go, therefore, make disciples, period. That's it. We are called to go make disciples. So the question for us today is, where is our discipleship switch? Is it in an on position, an off position, or do we just keep turning it on and off, back and forth all the time? You see, next to Jesus' command to love God and love others, discipleship is the most important thing he wants his followers to accomplish. It's what we call the Great Commission. And indeed, it's in Matthew 28, 19. If you haven't yet, you can turn there with me. Matthew 28, 19 uh, comes in a place. It's after the resurrection. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And this is his last words to the disciples. His last command, his last chance to say, here's what I want you to be about. And starting just before, uh, I think it's verse 18. Yeah, It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is saying, I have the authority. I have all authority. Because I have that authority, therefore, you're under that authority. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He <laughs> said, you don't have to be afraid of anything. I've got the authority. I've got your back. I've got you covered. Disciples, go make Disciples. Now, there's some dispute over where the most important word in Matthew 28, 19 is. Some scholars argue that it's it's make disciples, that that is the imperative word of the verse. And others argue that it's the word go, that that is the thing that Jesus wants us to get out of that verse, that it's the word go. Either way, no matter where you land, when you put the two together, you get the same result. And the word go here is not going to another place, like going across the world on a missions trip, or going to wherever to do the ministry. The word is actually translated as you go. As you go about your life, as you go about your work, as you go about whatever it is you're doing in your life, make disciples. So Jesus is saying that discipleship is a lifestyle. It's part of our DNA as his followers. It's not something that we get to turn on and off or choose when to do or not to do. Jesus is telling his disciples that we don't get to do discipleship just when it's convenient or when we feel like it. Instead, it happens all the time at every moment of our day. No matter what task we have before us, no matter who we're with, we are to be about the work of God of discipleship, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and drawing others into relationship with God through that. The Apostle Paul understood this as well. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul planted the church in Ephesus, which is where Timothy is when he receives this letter from Paul. The, town, the, the community of Ephesus was uh, a, a hustle and a bustle town. It was an economic center. Lots and lots of different influences. And in Ephesus, there was a polytheistic culture, meaning they worshipped many gods. One of the main uh, gods that they worshipped was Artemis, who was a goddess of fertility. Uh, and so she had, that, that religion had significant influence. And so because there were so many different religious influences as Paul preached the gospel, people gave their lives to Christ and started coming to the church and joining the church at people like in droves, right? And and Paul but they haven't been discipled yet. So there's all of these different heresies and different theologies and genealogies and myths and stories that are being told from different religious perspectives, things kind of being integrated in to the truth of the gospel. And Timothy is, uh, is in that culture. Paul has left Timothy in charge of the church because Paul had to travel elsewhere. And so Timothy's there, and Paul writes to Timothy, you've got to stay strong, you've got to stand firm, you've got to continue to teach the truth. But he doesn't stop there. Paul encourages Timothy to not just preach and teach and read scripture together. But he encourages Timothy to live a life that exemplifies what discipleship looks like. Let's read together uh, in 1 Timothy four twelve through 16. Again, Paul's writing to Timothy and Paul says, Don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, your faith, and in your purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid hands on you. But be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that you may, everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, the commentators note that Paul was not young in the way that we think of young. I mean, Timothy was not young in the way that we think of young. It's likely that Timothy was actually about 30 years old. So there's some youthfulness in Timothy. There's some, there's some maturity that's happening in spiritual growth in Timothy that's happening. And Paul is discipling and mentoring Timothy in this moment. St. Timothy, you've got the gifts that were given to you when, when the elders laid hands on you. You can preach, you can teach, you can guide people through the word. You've got to match that with your life. Your life has to exemplify uh, Christ through what you say, through what you do, through your, the way you love people, through uh, your faith in God and through your, your, your mind, through your purity. And so Paul knew that Jesus wanted discipleship to be a lifestyle for his followers. And so Paul tells Timothy that along with those things, he must set an example for those around him. Now, that's a pretty comprehensive list if you think about it. Those five things make up an an incredible list that would be hard to do anything outside of those things Right, Because that covers just about everything. Your speech, what you say, what you do, your conduct, um, your life in general, how you live your life. Also, your your love, how you love people, and your purity, which covers your heart and your mind. There's not much left uh, to do, no other place to really go. And so if you've got those five things tackled, you're probably in a good spot and probably leading others towards Christ. One commentator notes that Timothy's lifestyle will make its appeal to all people and to attract them to complete salvation. If you remember 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he asked them and and implored them to imitate his example as he followed Christ. And in the same way, Paul's telling Timothy that if Timothy models Christian virtues to the Ephesian believers, that they also will become examples along with him to the unbelieving world. Imagine a culture looking into the church and seeing people speak to each other with kindness and gentleness, seeing people speak with love and respect. Imagine a culture looking in from the outside, looking into the church and seeing people treat one another in a way that that is totally different than the culture. They're not vying for who's better or who's worse or, or competing or they're just Treating each other and, in, in, with love and respect and encouraging one another towards love and good deeds, right and then helping each other grow. Imagine a culture looking in from the outside and seeing a church loving one another, loving each other even when it's hard to love one another. Ooh, loving our neighbor, right? Even when we don't like that person. What if imagine the culture looking in and seeing the church act that way? Imagine the culture looking in and seeing a church have faith in a polytheistic culture where it was okay to worship whatever gods you wanted to worship. No, these Christians, man, they say they worship one God. Then they're fully committed and devoted to that one God. What's going on in their life that makes them want to do that? So the culture begins to ask questions. And then they see that we're, the church is, they're looking in from the outside and seeing the church living purely living holy lives, trying to do everything they can to honor and glorify God rather than serving themselves. They're not hypocrites. They actually say what they mean and mean what they say and do what they say they are going to do. Imagine a culture looking into the church and seeing those things. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus told the disciples, he said, the people, the culture will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. And that's the call to us in discipleship is to love one another, to set an example for each other, to call each other into closer relationship with God so that the culture around us begins to say, what do they have that I want? What am I missing? I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a community where I can be encouraged and lifted up and poured into. And where my junk, yeah, it's not good, but, but somebody will help me through that. Somebody will help me out of that. Somebody will give me a hand up, not just a hand out. Imagine the culture looking in. Paul admonished Timothy to follow Jesus' command by making discipleship part of who he was. Discipleship had to be more than just a sermon or teaching or reading scripture together, which are all good things. But it had to be more than that. Discipleship had to be more than just a Sunday school lesson once a week or going to chick or going to camp. Those things are phenomenal, right? Absolute awesome mountaintop experiences. And sometimes we need to get jarred out of our comfort zone by being in an environment like that. But we need discipleship daily, 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 daily. It needs to be part of our DNA. It has to be life. Paul wanted Timothy to make discipleship part of his DNA so that his example would draw others into the kingdom of God. And so, friends, does your life... Does your lifestyle attract people to Jesus at every waking moment? When you look into the mirror, do you see someone who sets an example in their speech, in their conduct, in their love, in their faith, and in their purity? Is discipleship part of your everyday life? Is it part of your DNA? Are, you, are people following you towards Jesus? This last weekend, I had the opportunity to go out to Colorado for uh, an event called Powderburn, which is a ski trip that the Front Range Covenant churches do for their youth groups. And some Nebraska churches were there as well. And I, I had an opportunity to sit at a meal and next to the youth leader of one of the other churches. And he and I were talking, and just and I found out that he had been serving in his, the youth group at his church for 20 years. He'd been investing in students. And I was like, okay, that's awesome. But most people that I've ever met maybe like don't spend 20 years uh, working in, this, in a youth ministry, especially in the same place. And so I was talking with him about that and he, and he's, he said, yeah, you know, I've been doing it and, and I know that the kids need an example day in and day out of what it looks like to live for Christ. Because these kids come into youth group and they don't necessarily have that example at home or anywhere else in their life. And I know that it needs to be a consistent example for them. And so every week they come and I try and just share my life with them. And he said, I don't get those big aha moments all the time or those big God moments all the time, but every once in a while I get to be part of when God breaks into a student's life or when when a student lets God in. And it's one of the coolest things ever. He said, when a kid just absolutely falls in love with Jesus. And I love being a part of that moment. And that's what keeps me going. But it's the daily things, the weekly time with the students that I know is the most impactful thing in their life. And we talked a little bit more, and then he started telling me that, that he also leads a Bible study at his work. And he said, yeah, it was me, and, and I started it, and then this other guy saw me reading my Bible, and so he wanted to join me in that. And so on our lunch breaks, we read the Bible together, and then it doubled, and we have four people now reading, reading Scripture together and, and praying together. And every once in a while, people will come up to us, and they know that we're Christians, and so they'll, they'll ask, ask for prayer, and so we'll pray with people. Sometimes they just... They just want to uh, have a question about the Bible and, and theology. So we'll just, well, they'll ask their question. We'll just talk to them and, and try to answer their questions. He said, we're hoping to grow it and grow it and grow it and share the gospel in our workplace. This guy gets this. Di- di- discipleship is part of his DNA. His, di- his discipleship switch is turned on in his life. Do we see the opportunities around us? Do you see the opportunities to disciple your kids, your family, your co-workers. One of the best things about living at camp is that I have a 20-minute drive to drop my kids off at school. And so uh, I, I love that 20 minutes because it's every morning uh, when, I get, when it's my turn to take the kids to school, we spend time and we have a, an email devo that we read or we spend time in prayer together or we'll work on memorizing scripture together. It's one of those opportunities in my own life when I get to disciple my own kids. Well, that sounds great and all, but um, I'm not so good at the next one, which is, which is my wife. Like, we don't open the word together very often. Um, we pray together a lot, but we don't necessarily open the word together a lot. But we need to grow in that area. And so, do you, do you do that with each other? Do you invest in your kids? Do you invest in discipling your spouse and discipling each other? What about your coworkers? Do the people at work know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you would pray for them at the drop of a hat? Do they know that they could come to you with their questions about God and about the Bible? I don't know anyone that's ever turned prayer down in my life. Anyone I've ever asked, hey, can I pray for you? No one's ever said no. Whether they knew I was a pastor or not, they've never said no. And so what if we just started asking people if we could pray for them for the day, for just, for not anything specific, just to pray for them? What if we took advantage of moments like that? There are discipleship moments around us all the time. The question is, do we see them? There are discipleship moments around us all the time we step into them. Right now I want to give you a moment of silence to reflect and think about this coming week. And I want you to think about the people that you might encounter. Perhaps it's coworkers. perhaps it's family members, perhaps it's people at the grocery store or the gas station, perhaps it's people on social media as your your Instagram feed. Whoever they are, I want you to think about the people that you will probably most likely come across this week. And I want you to ask God who you need to pay special attention to in terms of discipleship this week. So let's take just a few seconds and spend a moment in reflection. Imagine all the discipleship moments that will happen this week in the lives of the people, just from the people gathered in this room. Imagine the kingdom impact that we will make if we just see those discipleship moments in our lives and step into them. Imagine the kingdom impact that we could make if we each make strides this week towards developing a discipleship lifestyle. It takes practice. Right, anything learned new takes practice. I had to practice that pant roll, over and over and over again, and I finally had to ask a friend for help. And he told me, "You got to pin it." Oh yeah, duh. Okay. So uh, maybe maybe there's an ah, ah moment here for you. Maybe these are, these are just some suggestions of some ways you could practice daily discipleship as you interact with people in your life. Could be reading scripture to your kids or your spouse. Could be just being nice to someone. Maybe someone's having a bad day, and you have the opportunity to love on them with some kindness. And they are like, wow, thank you for that. And encourage them. Maybe it's an offer to pray for someone, like a coworker or someone at school going through something. Maybe it's calling a friend just to check in or texting someone and just being like, hey, you're on my mind today. How can I pray for you? Maybe it's writing a note of encouragement to someone, maybe including a Bible verse in that. Or maybe it's sharing a word of truth with someone to help them grow. Who will you disciple? this week? Who will God lead you to this week? And will you step into those moments of discipleship and make discipleship your DNA and your lifestyle? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. God, the call to be disciples, to make discipleship part of our DNA is sometimes it can feel like a fad that comes and goes and we put it on our to-do list to check it off. Um, But Lord, we know that uh, it is who you want us to be become. It is part of our identity. And so God, we pray that you would bless each of us with an opportunity this week to see clearly at least one discipleship opportunity that we could step into. God, may we come back next week with incredible stories of what you do through us to impact the lives around us. I thank you for this congregation and for their love for you and for their passion for you, God. I pray that you would pour out your blessings through them into the community and into the culture here in Lincoln with your gospel truth. On your name we pray, amen.